happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 221 for June June 2nd. It is June 2nd, 2021. And for my teacher friends that uh, are already done, congratulations. You made it through 2021. For those that have a week or two left, you're almost there. You'll make it, baby. Um, but this is not just praise for teachers tonight. This is the Edtech Situation Room. My name is Jason Neifer. I am the Assistant Director and Curriculum Director of the Montana Digital Academy, Montana State Virtual School, located on the beautiful University of Montana campus, right here in fabulous Missoula, Montana. And joining me tonight, as always, good evening, Dr. West Fryer. How are you tonight? Good evening, Jason. I am well, aside from having some allergies somehow just try, decide to descend on me today. Um, but I am, I'm doing well and tonight's prom night at our school and it's our youngest daughter and she looks so old and anyway, life, life is good. And we have survived the year with kids and we have, um, yeah, two more work days. So. Graduations on Saturday. So looking forward to a couple Minecraft camps coming up virtually next week and the week after that. And doing a little book creator workshop and coming up. And anyway, things things are good. So that sounds like what, a more normal summer. Uh, that things yeah. are feeling nearish back to normal. So well, we are doing the virtual Minecraft camp again, uh, like we did last summer. It, it worked. It was fun. Um, and I didn't know what the situation would be. So literally yesterday and today are the first days that we've had masks optional. And, um, my wife and I went to Co uh, Costco or one of our favorite places to, you know, just hang out now. Um, and anyway, they, um, first time I've been there without a mask mandate, if you're not vaccinated, you're supposed to wear one. Uh, and all the, the employees were wearing them, but they took all the social distancing circles, you know, out of the checkout lines and all that stuff. So Costco's national chain. So I'm guessing that may not just be an Oklahoma thing, but I don't know. And we have had announcements at school that <clears throat> many of our procedures are going to be returning. We expect to normal, uh, maybe optional masks, but I mean, yeah, masks will not be required. We don't think, but you know, not, not having to do special cohorts of kids and everybody getting to, to go to chapel. And I think probably that means cafeteria as well. And anyway, that we just had that announcement today and that that's really that's really good news, but of course we'll have to wait and see, you know, what happens. And I know that is not the case in many parts of the world. Um, before we're, you know, we're fortunate to live here where we've got a lot of vaccine, a lot of available vaccines and, um, you know, but Hey, not, it's, it's not the case for all of us. There are some of us who are still quarantining and we've got teachers, you know, still wearing masks and, and needing to do that. And so it's going to still be a time of transition, I think, uh, yeah, for quite a while. Absolutely. Yeah. And as I mentioned before on the podcast, I am a, a kidney transplant recipient, and some of the news that's happened in the last month or so, I've been a participant in a John Hopkins study of solid organ transplant recipients, because the reason why I was uh, able to take a, a kidney from another man's body and insert it into mine is because my immunity is suppressed, uh, so that it does not recognize that there is a foreign object uh, taking care of business um, in my abdomen, and 
Um, one of the things that I know now that uh, I did not know six months ago when uh, vaccines were first starting to roll out is that my immune response is much less than a typical healthy adult. And so um, I, uh, you know, for me personally, it means that I'm going to be kind of in a quarantine mode for a, a bit longer. And, you know, it's not a huge deal. Um, I uh, have a job that, that works very well with a work at home structure. And even if I had to go to work, I'm in a separate office that has separate HVAC that, um, you know, I'll have to put up a sign on my uh, a window that says, you know, don't tap on the glass it angers the animals. But other than that, um, you know, the that, you know, I, I, I feel incredibly lucky that I had that flexibility. But, you know, a reminder that even if everything goes completely back to normal in the fall, we are dealing with a post pandemic uh, at, at some point in, in hopefully the near future. And that's going to come with its own challenges. So um, I'm s- still glad that we have you know, an army of teachers that are on the ground across uh, the United States and around the world to to help figure out what's next in this. Um, but uh, a lot of reflection, I imagine, happening in the next 90 days or so before we go back to school in the fall. Absolutely. Well, I want to say a shout out to Peggy George, who's here with us live. And congratulations to your granddaughter, Peggy, for her graduation here recently. And a special shout out to Eric Langhorst, who, if he's not listening live, I'm pretty sure we'll listen to the recording. I got a chance to get together with Eric and our families got together for a little brunch last weekend. We were up in Liberty and uh, it was great to see him and Jason Eric is very impressed at the length of your hair. So that, <laughs> and I think he might've enjoyed the, the voices we had, you know, a little, little impersonation of some little mafioso, you know, last week. So yes, folks, we are here to entertain in many ways. So we are, what are we going to do? Are we just going to, you know, show shoot, long hair the and, and, and yeah. And just talk, uh, you know, Talk in strange voices. We could do that, I guess. We could do that, I suppose. Um, well, no, we're going to look at some tech headlines. And even though school is uh, uh, quickly uh, ending for uh, most teachers and students across the United States, the technology news marches on. And so this week, we've got several articles to speak about. If you want to see the links, we get to some of them, not always all of them, at techsr.com slash links. But this week, we have some Apple news. We have some Google news, uh, some privacy and tech correction information, social media news, an article about connectivity. And then, of course, we'll end our time tonight with our Geeks of the Week. And so, Wes, I guess I would start out. I, I feel a little embarrassed because now I'm like, oh, Apple guy. So um, I spend a lot of time. I know you got your Apple shirt on. Like, I, I spend a little more time looking at this news. But um, there is uh, WWDC is coming up next week. And according to most folks, there's likely to be some hardware um, uh, releases uh, uh, during that time. And I will note for the record that um, I might be in the market for a, a new Mac Mini if they decide to release a Mac Mini. So um, that said, I'm going to talk about my love for Chromebooks a little bit later on in this episode, too. So part of my problem is I love all technology. Um but I guess I'd start off tonight because there, there are some articles here that I'd really love to hear uh, your thoughts on. The first one um, is an article from 9to5Mac um, that is uh, um, uh, about iOS – or I'm sorry, iPad OS 15. So that's the next generation of um, – um, iOS uh, of iOS thank or, or the 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 iPad OS and one of the things that you know I've recently gotten back into the Apple ecosystem after a number of years away from it and so I've got you know uh my and of course I don't have it in front of me I have my iPhone 
where on earth is my phone? Um, I have my phone and, um, I bought an iPad Air 3 and then obviously I, I've, I'm utilizing a, a Mac M1, Mac Pro, uh, uh, M1. But one of the things that I have noticed is that, uh, even though the Mac, or I'm sorry, the iPad, uh, 2021 is out, the new Pro with the M1 chip in it, and it's getting phenomenal reviews that it is extremely speedy. It's got a beautiful display. Um, it's got wicked, awesome battery life. It's got a lot of great hardware going for it, but on almost every review that I've read, it says its biggest limitation is the operating system because even though Apple's made a lot of ground up in the last two or three years at kind of adding a, I don't want to say a desktop OS experience because that's not exactly what the situation is, but making it more friendly to those that want to consider the iPad a laptop replacement. So it's things like uh, mouse support, and adding in features that make uh, a mice more usable on that platform. It's adding Apple-generated hardware for a keyboard and mouse to recreate a laptop-type experience. So I guess I'd start off with, um, I'm certain you've experimented with this over the years, Wes, but have you ever uh, tried to push the iPad as a full desktop replacement uh, or full laptop replacement? You know, (coughs) if I can even talk. Absolutely. Um, I uh, am fortunate to have an iPad Pro, uh, which has the USB-C connection. And since I moved to a MacBook Pro, I don't know, maybe was it just a year ago? A couple, maybe it was two, two years ago. Uh, anyway, it's nice actually to have the same charger uh, when I you know, travel. Not that I'm traveling that much, but I have you know gone a couple of times to, to see family and, and some other things. Um, yeah, I have... I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not loving it. You know, it just, for me, the, well, okay. I say I've tried. I didn't get the actual fanciest, best keyboard, you know, to go with that. What I've done, I don't know if I've got one of these around here right now, but just the, the wireless Bluetooth keyboards, um, Mm -hmm. I used to use that all the time with my iMac, you know, um, and I haven't gone full on mouse with it. So I don't know. I, I do. We've talked about this multiple times on the show. I think that Apple is basically previewing the, you know, an important future of computing. Look at that. That is exactly what I'm talking about. That is a fantastic keyboard, ladies and gentlemen, if you happen to possess it. The one, I think that's the same one with uh, the two AA batteries recharge. So the newer, you know, devices, I've got one of the newer trackpads, which is all battery. You know, you've got to, you, or sorry, it's yeah, it's the internal battery. You you got to charge it with the the lightning charge. I I like that keyboard where it's just you know pop the double A batteries in and anyway I've used that for years. Um, so and at one time we were we were asking some faculty to test that with the idea that hey maybe you know you could have this as a replacement. But here's the big reason why I just don't. I mean I love my iPad. I use it literally every day. There is no way I would want to do without it. But, you know, this last year, I have been one-to-one Chromebooks with my fifth graders and one-to-one iPads with my sixth graders. And I've loved being able to be one-to-one with with the sixth graders, with the iPad, with the apps. We've done, you know, family oral history. We've used Voice Record Pro. We've done sketch notes um, with Adobe Sketch and Adobe Fresco. We've you know, used uh, the Adobe Spark suite. We've done Spark videos. We've done Spark posts and info pics and all of that. But 
the iPad is still hard and clunky. And I've seen lots of teachers as well as students struggle with Safari OS or am I going to be in the app? And, you know, this is limited and some kids had the apps and some kids didn't. It just wasn't as fluid and smooth an experience as, as the Chromebook. And so as I've shared, our school has decided to go new Chromebook with, with all four grade levels in our middle school next year. I'm very excited about that. So I yeah. love the iPad, but I have never been a huge huge fan of those saying rah rah schools dump laptops go iPad and and you know maybe somebody's going to want to tear the apple shirt away from you know this apple shirt that I bought myself in Cupertino when I was when I was there um I don't know I just I I don't believe that it is the full laptop replacement. Now, that being said, you can do a heck of a lot. And depending upon your needs and, and what you need to do, especially if you have a keyboard, I didn't have one of the fancy schnancy, and that's an official word, by the way, uh, you know, nice keyboards that clips on to the iPad. Um, our students, I think, I don't know if it's a Logitech, they've had a pretty nice one that that is that is snapped on. So, you know, love the stylus, love so many things about it. But please, please do not take my laptop. And I have just got an in-processor, you know, MacBook, uh, MacBook Air. Uh, I'm going to miss my touch bar, actually, because I really like... Thing, uh, fingerprint ID. I've, I've gotten oh, real, where yeah. that is really nice to, yeah. to unlock Agreed. stuff. So that's, I mean, I don't really use the bar that much, uh, for stuff, but you know, using the fingerprint ID has really been nice, but I am, I'm not under any illusions that in the immediate future, you know, huge numbers of people are going to be, you know, clamoring to ditch their laptop and just go iPad. So how about you? Have you pushed the iPad to its desk, this uh, laptop capable limits? So this iPad Air 3, which by the way, is a two-year-old iPad. I bought it used on Swappa. And the reason why I decided to go with the used one is that I wanted one with a lot of storage space on it, 256 gigs. And I also wanted this to have a, a cell uh, a capability on it. So for $10 extra a month, I get a card from T-Mobile and I just never have to get to put this on, on, on internet outside of my home. And I, I find a lot of value in that. So I was able to pick up, you know, what, what is for all practical purposes, a premium iPad for hundreds of dollars less than I would have paid for it new a couple of years ago. And in fact, I, a, a random side note, I, uh, coconut battery is a great app on, um, on, on, uh, 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 Mac OS that allows you to look at battery statistics. And all you need to do is plug in your iPad and it will, or, or iPhone and will give you battery statistics. This only had, uh, nine, um, uh, I bought this used. It only had nine battery cycles on it. I didn't know that when I bought it, but it, it, it ended up being an extraordinary deal. But um, the previous to this, it was an iPad Mini 2, and then previous to that, it was a an iPad 2, and then uh, which I in the year before that, I got an iPad 1 when they were first out. So I, I've had a couple generations of this, and I have utilized in a pinch the iPad. As a, as, as a laptop replacement. And the one memory I have that, that this was probably most acute was this was in 2011, 12. It was the 72 hours before the start of my program, uh, uh, for a fall semester. And I had to go to a family wedding in Texas, uh, the Saturday before we started on Tuesday. I flew home on Monday morning. Um, that would have been a prep day for me that I would have been working and I had stuff to do. So I had my iPad out and I was using the Wi-Fi in an airplane and I was doing all the work I would have done to help prep my program for its start for that semester. And it was good enough. But what I kept running into is that I, I think most modern power users are multitaskers. And yes, 
iPad obviously has a multitask capability to it. I like the split window as a as as kind of a parlor trick, but I don't think it's really as productive as being able to quickly switch between two windows and have that not be awkward in the re-rendering of the window. And I think that's a real killer for me. Um, the form factor, I, I don't mind small. In fact, for a long time, uh, this was pre, uh, this was pre tablet, but my, my, uh, laptop for a long time was a tiny Dell laptop that was a 10 inch laptop. I loved that laptop. It was my companion for, I think I had that thing for four years before I finally updated. Um, in fact, it was the last Windows P or last Windows laptop I had before I moved to, uh, Mac OS in, in 2009. And, um, that, is, uh, you know, the size is the problem. I just, I need more multitasking ability. And, you know, the other thing too is that, uh, even though Safari is better than it was on, uh, uh, iPad OS, and they say it's a desktop class browser now, it's really not. It's slow still, right? Like browsing is, uh, from, from a productivity experience, not from a reading experience, from a productivity experience, browsing on a tablet, or at least on, 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 uh, Android and, and Mac, I'm sorry, uh, iPad OS tablets are, is still a relatively slow experience. It's not a power user experience. And I think that matters. And a huge thing, a huge thing are extensions. And I don't know if we have an article in yeah. here. I was just listening to the fantastic, uh, Google Educator Group Ohio meeting, which I think I might have put in the show notes from last time, but Eric Kurtz facilitates that. And one of the things they were talking about is, and maybe we've talked about on the show, this new rendering engine that Google Docs is, and mm-hmm. Google Drive is going to be having. Yes. But it might break extensions. Like, please, please, yes. Google, don't break the ad blocking extensions and they might do it right because right now and this is you know educational standpoint it is a huge deal to be able to not worry about any kind of ads especially sharing youtube but other you know kinds of of websites basically um and you just can't escape those on the ipad that's a that's a major encumbrance when you know you're trying to share media in fact i would probably say this if I was going to continue to teach or in the future teach uh, at a school with iPad one-to-one, I think I would personally get YouTube read and make sure that I just never had to see ads and never had to worry about them, you know, popping up for my students. I think it would be yeah. worth it. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I love, you know, I, I love my, love my Apple stuff too, but it, uh, you know, since the iPad really, I don't know when this was, but, you know, when Maine for the MLTI, the Maine Learning Technology Initiative, Maine was the first state to give, you know, laptops to all their middle schoolers, you know, way back in the day. I think that was when was that? Was that the early 2000s or it was a long time ago? Maybe it was yeah. before that even. It might it might have been before that. But anyway, uh, they did a refresh and, and Apple really was trying to push iPad and that was what they wanted everybody to do. And I think they continue to do that. And I just um, I would just encourage people to. Uh, if, if you're looking at that and, and, you know, we're going to be on this on probably a four year cycle. So here in four years, we'll be able to take a look at, do we want to refresh with Chromebooks again, or do we, we want to look at a different platform? There's a lot of different benefits and advantages to the iPad. Apple classroom being built in is fantastic. Being able to share my kids, you know, screen so quickly and monitor and see what they're doing. And, and just, just from a, you know, you as a teacher in the classroom with screens it's a good thing to have a perception that students have that you are very powerful in terms of what you can do and see. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, I would, that's something 
we don't have in place yet, I think for next year, is a, a monitoring, a, cl- a classroom management and monitoring software. Just, you know, even if when you can just have screens up, up and, and see, you know, anyway, have, yeah, uh, have yeah. those up. It, it just makes a difference. So anyway, love my, love, love me some iPad for sure. Please don't take it away. Um, I love to teach with it. I love to use it a lot, but would I choose that for, a uh, full-time, I just need this device? No, no. Yeah. I've got to have my laptop. I would also note one other thing for the record, too, that uh, the, the other thing that I think is 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 a little awkward in the iPad still, and, and I deal with this, we don't officially support iPads in my program. Uh, we know kids pull it off, uh, but the thing that I... I also uh, uh, tell them is that I, I I really can't help you with the file management on 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 a Mac uh, or I'm sorry iPad OS and that's still a pain for me. Like if you're running a school and you're all in Google World, that's fine because you're training things in Google Docs. It's a cloud based system. If you're using Office 365 in your school um, and you are in that ecosystem, the iPad apps for both Google uh, Docs and 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 Office 365 are beautiful. They're they're really high class apps and you're probably going to be okay there too. But the second you're supporting both or you're, you're plugging something into a third party, like in my case, my program runs Moodle, which you can download plugins for uh, office 365 and Google docs, but that requires the participation of your IT people, um, which students may or may not have in, in my program, which serves students remotely. The bottom line is you're going to have to download something as a word document or a PDF or an RTF or any of the formats that are pretty universal and then upload that again. And that's a huge pain. I know you can. And I know that, that the defenders of the iPad would quickly tell you that you get used to that after a while, but you know, the fact that you can't put something on your desktop, which you can do on every other operating system, and you can't do that on an iPad, uh, is, I, I think, problematic for me. And I think it also means that users, it, it just, it, it, it's too many hoops to jump through in light of how elegant everything else in the iPad is. So in defense uh, of Apple, and also to point out, you know, Chrome, you do have a files app now. And so you can, you know, save things to your files. Your if and if you use iCloud Drive, which I definitely think you should. I did, in fact, my Geek of the Week will relate a little bit to that. Um, you know, you can have access to the stuff on your desktop for your of your your Mac laptop or or whatever desktop you use for Mac OS. You can have access to your documents, but it is a little challenging. On the Chrome side, you know, you do have local, a limited amount of local storage as well as your access to Google Drive. And so there is that file management that we have to navigate and that students have to as well. But it's not super intuitive. And this is also an add-on. It's a tack-on, right? Steve Jobs never wanted there to be an accessible file system to the iPad. It was by intention. He thought that was confusing and it was easier for folks just not to mess with it. Well, yeah, that can be true, but people want to be all kinds of productive on their devices. So I'll say what I'm waiting for, <clears throat> and I don't know that Apple is going to do this, but Microsoft, we've mentioned it before. Um, our debate coach, uh, Tommy Snyder, showed me probably f- four years ago or something. You know, he had a Windows phone that he could just, as I throw my phone on my keyboard, um, <laughs> that he could just plug into an HDI monitor. It had an adapter. He could plug his USB keyboard and mouse. And he was off and running, you know, with with a I think it was a somewhat weakened Windows environment. But that was impressive. And 
you know, already our phones probably have more personal data and, and precious information about ourselves than we might even have in our house. Maybe not, but it's a heck of a lot of information. And so being able to just take this and compute with this is a, is a pretty interesting idea. I don't know that Apple is going to go there. The bread and butter there is, is hardware sales. So I don't know that they're necessarily interested in us all just buying one lovely monitor that we're going to keep forever. And then we'll just, you know, plug in our phones as I go. That's, that's just not their model, but, right. um, it's, um, I'll, I'll segue to another Apple article. Actually, I, I put one in, um, that's also in anticipation of, of WWDC. One thing, I guess, on that article you put in about the wish list, they are talking about audio multitasking. And sure, that'd be nice. You know, yes. I'm playing, I'm playing a YouTube, I'm playing a podcast on YouTube, as maybe some of you are, or, you know, whatever. Can I keep that playing in the background just like I could with the music app or with Spotify? And currently you can't, but I don't know. I don't, I'll be surprised if there's transformational <clears throat> information about the iPad OS. I, I definitely think that. Apple is going to try to push the envelope with augmented reality um, and, and the, the processing speeds of the devices are going to allow for that. But I don't know if I don't know if we'll see that here. Uh, but the article I dropped in, uh, which is also nine to five Mac, is an article from today, June 2nd. Should you buy the Apple Watch Series three in 2021? Here's how it stacks up. And basically, the article says hey, we're going to have to watch WWDC and see if it supports the latest version of watchOS. Currently, it does. Uh, it's a little bit slower. It doesn't have all the features. You can't monitor your, you know, your, your, um, what, they're not doing blood level yet, but I mean, it, it does, it, you can monitor heart, heart pulse and, and things like that. But there's, you know, the advanced features it doesn't have. But, um, I have, you know, still the Apple Watch 3. It's the only Apple Watch that I've had, uh, going strong. I don't really, I think I have a need to to go get another one. Uh, however, my wife, who had had an Apple Series 2, finally had that die. And I think <clears throat> that we may just go ahead and spring for her to get the latest and greatest, in part because it's a, it's a longevity thing, right? We go ahead and make that investment. I mean, that watch could last her for five plus years. I, I don't know. But... Um, it you know all, all eyes end up being on these events. Uh, we had Google I/O a couple weeks ago. Now we have WWDC. They're both developer conferences, but they preview things that can impact us both in education and as consumers. So, you know, it's gonna. I would feel comfortable, you know, proposing that it will be continued iterative change. But when you're continuing to, you know iteratively improve, you know, it just, it gets pretty freaking awesome. And and that's where we really are with these ecosystems today. I think with the Chrome ecosystem, uh, with Google and, and all of the, the suite of software, which what we got to say, Google workspace now, instead of G suite, I think I, think I yeah. said that wrong in my video. I call it Google something else, work something else. <laughs> so we're, we're going to need, we need to meet and just like repeat the words, Google workspace. Anyway, say it over and over again. Cause how long have we been saying G suite? Like, a couple decades. I don't know. Yeah. A long time. A long time. Well, actually it was Google apps before too. So they yeah. keep changing the name on us, which, you know, makes things a little tough. So, um, a couple quick hardware articles, uh, uh, that I think is, uh, a, a preview of what's to come. Uh, almost certainly going to be a new Mac mini sometime soon. And I will admit that's where I, I think would probably invest for home right now. I have a, 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 a Mac pro for work. 
um, that, uh, we picked up as part of, uh, you know, our every four year hardware refresh. So that, that's been super great, but I am interested in a desktop experience. I have it plugged into a dock right now that is fine. A uh, docks can be a little problematic though. And I also haven't invested in one of the super nice docks, like the, you know, three and $400 docks. I have, uh, distinctly, uh, more inexpensive docks, but I, I think for home, I'd be interested in a Mac mini at some point. Um, according to, um, uh, Macworld, uh, on May 31st, that the next Mac mini is likely to be both smaller, a slightly newer form factor that's thinner, um, uh, definitely speedier. They're talking about whatever the next chip is, whether it's an M1X or an M2, there's uh, still a lot of debate amongst the prognosticators what's coming next. And then the other thing that they're, uh, uh, starting to tout is that, uh, it's going to have more ways to, uh, to expand the function via more ports. And one of the biggest criticisms of the MacBook and the MacBook Air uh, on the M1 chip is that there's just two uh, Thunderbolt ports and you can only plug in one monitor into it. And I found a way around that because uh, if you use a certain kind of USB-C dock, which is what I'm using uh, right now for my, my MacBook Pro, I've got a 4K display as my main display and then a 1080p display um, as, as uh, my side display, which I, I love both uh, doing that. But I think for a more permanent solution for my house, I would love to get an M1 Mac that allowed me to plug in maybe even a third monitor natively without having to worry about, uh, you know, kind of adapters to do that. So I would guess that for schools, they're still doing computer labs, that that would be an extraordinary investment, um, probably with a lot of longevity, too, because the, you know, the N1 chip is just so much faster, so uh, more, so much more advanced than the Intel chips they replaced. That I think you'll get a lot of, of bang out of the buck there. And then um, I don't know anyone with an iMac, an M1 iMac. They've been released. I've seen a ton of reviews on them. Uh, you, you know Eric Langhorst because he's oh, got, Eric one, got one and he well. loves it. Yeah, he was just saying it is screaming awesome. And, you know, he was using, I think, a MacBook Pro, an older one, maybe for, for all of his photos because he's he does, you know, photos yep. on the side. And he says it's awesome. He's absolutely in love with it. Well, I did watch, uh, the Luke, um, uh, Miani channel on, on YouTube, which is one of my favorite Apple channels. Um, he bought an M1, I bought two M1 Mac, uh, or iMacs, excuse me. And, um, he bought the base model, which, uh, is, uh, much more limited, uh, than the more advanced models. And he bought the, the step up model for $400 more. And he compared his iMac Pro which I think had an i9 chip in it and 64 gigs of RAM and compared it to the base model uh, in editing videos and found that they, there was definitely a point of which the, the uh, iMac, the iMac pro was beating the, the M1, but the fact that M1 was even competitive in that and that he didn't really run into issues until well into his edit just tells you how, uh, how much more advanced these, these M1 chips are than the chips that they're replacing. And I'm not in the market for an iMac. Um, I'd be more likely at this point just because I've invested in some, in, in some decent monitors at home to go the, the Mac or the Mac mini route. But wow, what a, what a great advancement. And they're just beautiful pieces of hardware too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, personally, we've mentioned this. I think Peggy George went with a uh, Mac mini, I think. Um, and that idea of, you know, investing in a pretty nice monitor or pair of monitors and then just being able to swap that out. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it depends on, uh, 
a lot of things. And certainly the form factor of the iMac. And I, I haven't laid eyes or hands on an actual new M processor, but what I've seen in the videos, really sleek, really thin. Yeah. You know, pretty, pretty spectacular. Um, you know, but you'll be replacing that entire thing at some point versus, you know, shoot, when are you going to wear out your 4K monitor, Jason? I mean, I think that thing may just last the rest of your life. I, I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, I remember um, this was like five years ago when we were just starting to get some uh, LCD TVs for the classroom and we were getting 60, well, at the time that was just 55 inch, which is really smaller than we needed. But anyway, they were, they were, um, you know, 300 bucks, maybe they were 500 bucks, but you know, I had vendors saying, don't go consumer. You got to go with this really fancy commercial, whatever. We haven't had a single one go out on us. Um, I mean the, the, the TV technology. Yeah. I will say I have a, actually a discarded friends plasma TV that uh, the HDMI port failed on it. And I have a converter and it's, it's not fantastic, but anything that's recent gen on led is just, pretty awesome. So I don't know. What would you say, Jason? How, how would you make the decision between Mac Mint? Cause you're facing that, I guess you've already invested in the monitors. Yeah. So since you've already made the monitor investment, does that make the Mac mini an easier choice for you rather than the iMac? It does. Although I was an iMac user at work, uh, uh, the, my first two, uh, computers at work going back, you know, 12 years ago were iMacs and, and they were, they were great machines. Uh, you know, I don't like the fact that you can't upgrade, uh, iMacs very easily, but of course we're moving away from upgradability, uh, in the Apple platform in general, right? So, um, I, and I, uh, up until, uh, it, it finally, uh, the speed was, was an issue. I had a 2008 Mac Pro and home. So the big industrial cheese grater, as they called it, the big, uh, you know, uh, iron horse uh, uh, Mac, that was hugely upgradable. And it did mean that I got to use that computer for really effectively seven or eight years before, um, you know, and I, in fact, I could still buy upgrades to it now that would make it a decent machine, not a speed demon by any stretch of the imagination, but a decent machine. Um, you know, I guess part of the problem is that I, I just think the old rules don't really apply anymore because we are using, I mean, I think it's reasonable to be a power user and use, if you're investing in a decent computer, you can use it for six, seven years. And, and that's not an unreasonable amount of time to use a computer anymore. I don't think that was true in 2001 and 2002, Usually economics made that decision for you. You could upgrade in three or four years if you could afford to do so. And of course, schools were put into uh, some binds in that way as well. But uh, yeah, I'm not entirely sure if I've got a good line for that at this point, other than I happen to have monitors. Um, but I will say, as much as I love being in a coffee shop, my head buried in a laptop, um, unlimited, uh, uh, you know, drip coffee at, at Starbucks to, you know, uh, plan my world domination via laptop. The, the bottom line is that I love working with big monitors, right? And a big, you know, full desktop keyboard and, you know, the, um, you know, the full, um, uh, 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 touchpad. And, you know, I like the full size stuff. Like I feel like I'm much more productive when I have more real estate. And so, um, I will always, always head in that direction if I have the opportunity to do so. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, Hey, I would vote for an article that really caught my attention under the social media 
headline, if you would take that, I had not heard about Donald Trump shutting down his blog. So you want to yes. talk about that? The Verge noted today that uh, from the desk of Donald J. Trump um, is gone. And you may remember, uh, as previously reported on the Anti-Situation Room, that uh, we noted that uh, former President Trump, uh, uh, un- not able to find a social media platform of, of, of his own that, that was mainstream enough to get his message out, started posting Twitter-like messages to a what effectively was a blog. And he took uh, some criticism for this, in part because, you know, this is not a social media platform. In fact, it had fake... Um, it, it had fake like button on it that it had a little heart on there that you could press that didn't do anything. Um, so that, uh, that, that was, uh, a kind of an unfortunate side. Um, but obviously a lot has happened in the month since he posted that, uh, his Facebook ban was, uh, it, not necessarily permanent, but, uh, they punted the decision back to Facebook, but still not allowed on Facebook. He's been permanently banned from Twitter. Um, but there's a couple of interesting gems in this article that I think are worthy thinking about. The first one is that, um, well, it, it, I don't know why th- there's no reasoning behind this. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, Jason Miller, who is a senior aide to Trump, told CNBC that the site will not be returning. So they, they asked for confirmation on that. There's no, there's no information on why, uh, that it's no longer there. Um, but the thing that I think is, is super interesting is that apparently, uh, former President Trump, uh, has been in talks with some, you know, B, C, and D tier social media platforms, uh, to try to, to bring him there, figuring that he probably would have. I, I wouldn't be a surprise that millions of users followed him to, you know, a new platform. But, uh, the, the, the two they're talking about, and frankly, I've heard of neither of them, Clout Hub and Free Space are two that uh, he's been talking to. But but here's the interesting catch. Uh, the journal said, so quoting the, the Verge article, the journal said that Trump isn't looking for equity in a new company. He would want a licensing fee if he decides to join. So in other words, he's looking for a financial deal um, to, you know, because, and again, he would bring, I would imagine, a, a large number of users. But I I guess my, my comment there, and then uh, toss it over to you, Wes, is that, I still think it's problematic um, in that sites have said that they feel like they have some responsibility if messaging is deemed to be flatly untrue or dangerous. And so there's, you know, uh, the stuff from uh, 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 Mr. Trump's uh, uh, from the desk of site um, was pretty bland. I mean, it was way less spicy than the stuff that he was posting on Twitter, especially at the end there. Um, um, so I, I know I just, it's, I, I, the story keeps, keeps having me scratch my head a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, there's a lot of smart people and there's a lot of money that surround politics and it'll be interesting to see what the, the next moves are. So I, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty fascinating. I will comment that it is unfortunate how, how hard it is to talk about contemporary issues in many classrooms today. And I'm not going to go into excruciating detail with that, but man, um, there are, there's just a lot of contemporary stuff that um, I just don't think uh, many classroom teachers are uh, feeling empowered, whether they've been directly told not to talk about this or not. Um, anyway, it's uh, th- that's an example, right? Um, and, you know, I kind of miss where <clears throat> one of my favorite things, 
in class, and I'll start off class all the time with this, is to is to have some wonder links or some curiosity links. And sometimes there's cool stuff, um, but especially with older students. I mean, we did not talk a lot of politics and QAnon and election, and, you know, we, we didn't go there. Um, we talked about conspiracy theories and the moon landing and lots of web literacy stuff, but we did talk about some contemporary things. And anyway, I think this is absolutely fascinating. So any kind of class that you're doing about, about um, you know, social media, but but even about politics and current events, uh, hey, the tech correction, right? It's it's coming. And to your point, Jason, I definitely agree. You know, platforms are aware of the way the pendulum is swinging here, and we are likely to see some kind of regulatory change, uh, which may have an impact on Section 230 and, and liability. I, I think about it, you know, we had some really awesome, you know, learning and collaboration going on before Twitter and Facebook, right? Uh, you know, people set up their own websites. It was called blogging. It actually still happens. Uh, there's less folks that are going to do that because it required a little more sort of geekiness, I guess, than just setting up an account on Facebook. But I will be interested to see. I need to check in with, um, oh, the future of the Internet, Ethan Zuckerman. Uh, he's got a, a podcast I've, I've listened to some good episodes with. And there's a lot of people working on this. And um, anyway, it's a uh, fascinating thing to see where this goes. And it's not just fascinating because it's going to have a big impact on our politics. You know, it has, and it, it likely will. Um, we'll see. Yep. Absolutely. We want to do another, any more social media. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think we talked about this uh, uh, when, when the rumors were going around, but, but Twitter has confirmed that they plan on doing uh, their Twitter blue um, which is a $2.99 monthly subscription service. Uh, the screenshots in the Mac Rumors article from May 27th show the in-app purchases, I believe, on the iOS app, and I think Twitter's actually confirmed this now. The only reason why I'm going to talk about this uh, is because, like I mentioned um, uh, when we initially talked about this, this, this concept, is that the only way this makes sense to me is if you don't see any advertising. And that's not really what it looks like this is. From what I understand is that there are some feature sets that come with it, including collections. And, um, you know, we talked about the demise of Nuzzle in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, Nuzzle was, that technology was purchased by Twitter. So uh, I'm assuming that's coming at some point. I'm not particularly interested in paying $2.99 for that, that particular technology. Go ahead. But you might be able to edit your tweets. That was one of the things I read as okay, possible. Yeah. And so, you know, I, it doesn't happen every, every week, but every once in a while, you yeah, know, I will, I'll tweet something out. And I'm like, Oh crud. So then I have to delete it, you know, fix it and, and send it out again. Not that that's right. the end of the world, but I'm a, I'm interested in that. You know, I, I have not talked about Twitter a lot with our faculty in the five years I've been at my, my current school. Uh, and, and this week I've had an opportunity with our, our new, uh, technology leader, uh, our, called our technology manager to spend an hour with each one of our four divisions. And I have shared a little bit about Twitter and, Eric Kurtz and Twitter lists and just how wonderful it is to be able to learn from other folks. Yeah. And so anyway, I, I will look at it seriously and I might try it um, just because, well, if it gives me nuzzle back, I literally use nuzzle, you know, if not every day, almost every day um, just to, just to see what folks in my network are, are sharing. Maybe somebody can come up with something similar to that. Right. I mean, come on, that it can't be that hard to, do, but anyway, maybe that's a proprietary thing and something like that's been copyrighted. But if Twitter will integrate that as they have, you know, 
promised, I guess, or at least there's an expectation there. I'll give it a shot. But uh, did they give a date of when that's going to happen? I do not remember if they did or not. I I would say that the one thing that I probably would pay $2.99 for doesn't seem to be on the table, which is I would pay out of advertising like that. I, you know, and one of the things I've been hyper-conscious of is if I don't want to see ads, then I should pay for that service. I mean, I do that with Hulu. I do that with... Um, uh, HBO now offers a tier with that's that's uh, uh, about third less a month to get ads. I don't want to see ads. I buy out of ads on YouTube. Um, you know, I'd rather. I mean, I realize that the data is getting collected and utilized anyways. But at the same time, if I can choose to choose to to not do ads, I would choose to not do ads. And that doesn't seem to be uh, a part of this. I would also note that uh, you know, it's one out of six tweets if you're on the native Twitter app is an ad. So you may not think that, but I've counted before that if you, you know, if you're scrolling, which I do once or twice a day, I scroll through my Twitter feed to see what, what's going on in Twitter world. One out of six um, uh, 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 tweets is an ad. And, you know, the logarithm is solid. I'm not saying these tweets are totally out there. They, they aren't. They're advertising ed tech stuff and tech stuff and nerd stuff because I'm an ed tech nerd. But the bottom line is, is that if I can choose to give some money to the platform, I would choose that over advertising in 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 a lot of cases. Peggy's asking, um, what makes us what makes me think the Twitter subscription will bring Nuzzle back? I just you know having read some of those articles about Nuzzle being being um, you know purchased by Twitter and then killed. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was just the opinions of those authors that thought they would they would be wrapping that into you know a feature set. Um, I did scan the article, and they don't know when the uh, subscription is going to come out. It shows up as an in-app purchase. It's available in the App Store, but it's not uh, it's not live yet. You can't buy it. So probably soon. So we'll see. Yep. Um, and then, do you want to talk about that Elon Musk article? Yeah. So this is this is interesting. So. Um, as we know, Elon Musk um, has tremendous power with his tweets, uh, maybe a little similar to our, our president in a different way as a, as a business yeah. leader. Uh, but Musk has gotten into a lot of hot water. And this is an article from Ars Technica today saying SEC struggling to rein in Elon's Musk, Elon Musk's tweets, letters reveal. Uh, I actually listened to this uh, on our way to dinner tonight in the car with, with uh, my wife and daughter. So we were they, we were talking about this. Where Pocket, you know, has this button you can push to listen to a computer voice read you an article. So um, it's pretty pretty fascinating. Um, you know, Musk has has tweeted about stock prices. Uh, you know, I think before they went private or something. He said, "Well, no, they didn't." He said that you know funding secured or whatever to go private. And then they didn't. And it really threw the stock price. And we've talked on the show about Dogecoin and, you know, he just, he has some tremendous power and there was something that he just, uh, he just tweeted about. And then, you know, it was like a a 10% uh, fluctuation in, in the stock price, you know, as, as a result of, of his tweet. Um, So, you know, the SEC is trying to get Tesla, his company, to exert some oversight and for him to submit his tweets. And what it points to in the article alludes to this is, I mean, it's just a really different day, right? I mean, when, when the SEC and, and, you know, the stock exchange and rules for regulating were, were, were thought of, I mean, you didn't, I don't know how many followers Musk has, but you didn't have the ability to, you know, tap out a little message on this piece of glass from your pocket and have millions of people receive it and then potentially respond to it. 
So I think it brings up a really good question. This is one my daughter asked, you know, well, I don't know, maybe I asked her this, but we were just talking, what, you know, should, what should the limits of his free speech be? Uh, it's also kind of a question about the president, you know, uh, how do we decide what the boundary is? And because things are really, they're different today, but I guess the opinion and the position of the SEC would be as the CEO of a major company, <clears throat> you are going to lose some free rights, some free speech rights, uh, maybe in the same way that as a member of the military, you know, there are certain things that you would not say and you'd get into a lot of trouble if you if you said them because of, in that case, who you represent and and um, the position that you hold. So it's it's interesting. And I don't know, you know, if. if if Tesla was going down the tubes and they weren't economically and financially successful, maybe this would be different. But the article shows the SEC's frustration and, and their their repeated failure to really rein him in. So I think we're going to hear more about this down the road. And again, that'd be a great thing to talk to to kids about, right? Because the issues are big. You know, does does he give up his free speech rights? Probably not. But how do you draw the line between you know exactly what he should be allowed to to tweet about and and not tweet about? Yep, absolutely. And I, that's, I mean, that, that is the question, right? So where's that line? And I'm not entirely certain. In the same way we've talked about regulation of social media in the past, that I'm not entirely certain we're going to be able to find one that gets the universal acclamation that we need to be able to agree upon it. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, we've got about uh, 10 minutes left. So we have... Where would you like to go next? We have Google articles, we have privacy tech correction, and we have connectivity. So for $500, what would you like? Well, Alex, I will uh, take uh, privacy and tech correction for $500. So I um, I stumbled upon a really great uh, uh, kind of a series of tweets the other day, and it has to do with something, actually, that uh, Wes and I have talked about several times on our podcast. But this is Robert Reeve, who uh, is uh, works in uh, in in privacy, I think, uh, 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 and and he works for a big bank is his his day job. But he he set out, and I'm I'm going to paraphrase some of it and read other parts of it. Uh, make sure no, this is Mr. Reeve and not me. But uh, he he started off the tweet by saying that I'm back from a week at my mom's house, and now I'm getting ads for her toothpaste brand, the brand I've been putting in my mouth for a week. We've never talked about the brand or Googled it or anything like that. As a privacy tech worker, let me explain what's happening. So. First thing he says is that, first of all, your social media apps are not listening to you. There is a conspiracy theory, or that's a conspiracy theory. It's been debunked over and over again. And frankly, they don't need to because everything else you're giving them in an unthinking way is cheaper and way more powerful. So then he talks about all the information that your phone collects. Your apps are collecting a ton of data from you, your unique, your unique uh, device ID, your location, your demographics. Um, we know this already, right? There's data aggregators everywhere. When you use your uh, bargain card at the grocery store, that's a data pool. Uh, every purchase, uh, there's a data set that's for sale, uh, no matter how you engage in the world. And um, uh, they can match my Harris uh, 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 Teeter purchases to my Twitter account because I gave them both my company's, or my company's mail address and phone number, and I agreed that all the data sharing when I accepted the terms of service and privacy policy, which no one reads, right? That's that's part of that process. 
here's where it truly gets, uh, uh, he, he uses the term nuts. It's just nuts though. Um, if my phone is regularly in the same GPS location as another phone, they take note of that. They start reconstructing the web of people I'm in regular contact with. The advertisers can cross reference my interests and browsing on, and, and purchase history of those around me. And it will start showing me, me different ads based on the people around me, friends, families and coworkers. And, um, you know, there might be things that I don't want, um, but it knows someone I'm in contact might want it to subliminally get me to start a conversation. I don't know about toothpaste. Um, it never needed to listen to me. It did this in other ways. And, um, uh, I, I, yeah, like, you know, that we, we've talked about this a number of times, the kind of creepy factor of, of the social media tracking, but the bottom line is that, um, uh, uh, you know, that, that's what's going on here, right? And when we talk about the, the perils of, of, of data tracking and targeted advertising, this is what I'm talking about. And this is personally, this has been a big journey for me in that, you know, I used to say things as maybe, you know, uh, charmingly naive as that I would rather have personalized ads than not personalized ads in that, you know, seeing advertising that's pleasing to something I'm looking for, uh, it seems better than stuff that has nothing to do with me. But at the same time, I, I do wonder how much we're trading away to make that happen. I literally had this happen to me tonight when I, I had this flash in my mind, like, is my phone listening to me? And, and I'm reading these things and, and understanding that it doesn't. I think what happened, and this was a recommended YouTube video that came up. This isn't something I've searched for. This isn't something that I have to my knowledge, done anything about, but I'm having dinner with my wife and my sister, my sister, my wife and my daughter. And um, I'm pretty sure that this is a topic my daughter has been looking up some things about. And I think that's what happened. I think we were in the same location. Our phones were there, um, you know, and, 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 and the algorithm said, Hey, I think you would also like to see this that Sarah has been, has been looking at, but it was weird and it was that same kind of thing where i'm looking at this thing going are you listening to me so excellent post and these are things to talk with students about as well and the and the broader issue here in addition to privacy is surveillance capitalism and that is the model which is allowing these data brokers to you know collect and aggregate all this information about us and and be able to sell it with you know Kind of with our, with our knowledge, but uh, as a personal story, uh, I helped Rachel register for the ACT about a week ago. Cost us $135. We had a $35 late fee, but it also, they said it's going to take you 30 minutes. And I thought, we're registering for a test. Why is it going to take 30 minutes? Well, there was a little bit of required information, but there's a ton of information that they wanted her to voluntarily give up, which we did not fill out, which was all this excruciating detail about our high school experience. And I am 100% positive that the college board is selling those to, that information to the highest bidder. She knew from the PSAT to be careful checking the box to sign up for their list because, you know, you can easily flood your, your email account. Um, and so anyway, it's just once you're at, once you're 13, you know, we, we don't have, you know, uh, you know, COPA and, and some of these other laws, you know, protecting, uh, student privacy. And it is, it's pretty eye opening. So. Good post and a lot of thought-provoking 
ideas there because it's a journey for me too. It's one of the reasons I enjoy coming on the show and talking about these issues because, yep. you know, we're, we're seeing different articles and we're talking about them. And, and part of this is kind of an awakening of saying, Hey, we are trading off a lot. There's a lot of unintended consequences to this trade off of all this data that we're voluntarily giving away. And, uh, Hey, thankfully Apple is now letting us say, do not track. And, you know, I, along with 96% apparently of, of all iPhone users are saying, no, I don't want you to do that. I'll I'll still see some ads, but please don't track me. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, Wes, we're a few minutes from the top of the hour. Is there anything else? Oh, there is one I do want to say very quickly because this is a, a, a tip that is timely. Ars Technica reminded uh, uh, users of something that we reported on several months ago, but the the Amazon Sidewalk Project which is a project that essentially allows uh, Amazon devices to uh, uh, look at the Internet uh, on other networks to extend the range of that. So the, the easiest example to do this, the Amazon um, uh, doorbell, um, the ring doorbell from Amazon, um, if it's too far away from the Internet or the Internet goes out, it would look for other Amazon's devices on neighboring networks to be able to still get access to the Internet. Um, I'm not entirely comfortable with other people accessing my Internet in that way. I, I don't uh, I, I don't think that that's a, a good use of, of something that I'm paying for in the way that, that we do Internet. And so I've turned that off. Ars Technica gives you uh, uh, directions on how to go into your Alexa app and turn that off if you are an Amazon home. And I, I would personally suggest you do so. Sounds good. We just went on a walk in the neighborhood and I was marveling on the street where we were just how many, um, you know, uh, doorbells that, that had, uh, eyes there yeah. were. So yeah. they're common. Yes. It is not a good idea to let your neighbors access your internet. I remember Gary Stager, and this was a number of years ago at an ed tech conference, you know, encouraging everybody to not have a password on their, their wifi and, and, you know, just share the love. And that's a, that's a noble idea. But particularly in the security environment that we live in, it's really perilous. Uh, you do not want to, to grant anybody <clears throat> who's not in your immediate family and friends access to your network. And even when you do, you know, the latest routers like the, the Google Nest router, you know, creates a, a guest network and you can let them be on the Internet, just like school, right? Just like we let, you know, guests have access at school but not have access to all the other devices and things like that that we're, we're connected to. You can selectively do that. Yep, All absolutely. right. Well, I don't don't see any other articles that are just uh, you know burning burning topics. So, shall we geek of the weekend? Yep, let's do it. I have a quick one, and uh, I just ran into an article, and I'm turning to a Mac fanboy again. Uh, this is a, a digital uh, uh, a trends tool. Six Mac OS. Uh, apps you can install, uh, that are amazing tools and tweaks. And one of the things that's, that's, that I think is more true of, uh, Mac OS than it is of Windows is that there are, is a very thriving developer community that likes to put out tweaks to add in hacks and, 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 and productivity, uh, um, uh, uh, changes to, uh, the Mac operating system. And all six of these tools are pay for tools. Um, uh, to do it, but it's things like, uh, how to, um, uh, uh, modify your touch bar if you have one of the touch bar Macs. 
Um, there's something that I'm probably, or that I have the, the, that, uh, I'm probably going to pay for called Swish, which allows you to use your touchpad to kind of move windows around, especially in a larger screen. But, uh, I thought all six of these apps look super interesting for productivity, but just a reminder that, especially if you're a power user, go out and look for great third party apps because you can oftentimes do some amazing things, um, with those apps. Excellent. And my Geek of the Week is a video that I have been working on for a couple of weeks and actually finished up today. It's called New Laptop Without Tears. Uh, in our elementary school, we have a handwriting, cursive handwriting program called Handwriting Without Tears. So I thought it would be fun to say New Laptop Without Tears. I've been asking our faculty how many of you have, have experienced data loss when you've gotten a new laptop or you've had water spilled or drink spilled on your you know, laptop or whatever, um, one of our divisions, I think, they, it was like half the people had experienced that. And so the hope is to not lose data, to bring all of your data. Um, all of our teachers are getting new M1 laptops this summer. And so this actually is a 33-minute video, and it's the first of two parts. But it goes through, um, you know, how to make sure that your data is, is backed up, how to move that stuff to Google Drive, how to use Google Takeout, which is Google's tool for, like if you're departing the campus, really, that's where Google Takeout comes in. But how how do you also use iCloud? What's the benefit of that? Um, the most important thing is, you know, when you're going to turn in a device, signing out of Find My, which is Apple's I, iCloud-based um you know, service that allows you to, you know, lock devices and find them and, and brick them. If somebody steals it and you can't, you can't find it, you can erase it. Uh, but you, you literally, you know, can't do anything with the device if someone is still signed in to the find my. So anyway, that's a video and that is made for our faculty, but could probably be helpful to some other people. If you are wanting to make sure your files are moved to the cloud um, and I kind of talk about that process of sort of the old way we used to do this with hard drives and time machine and even flash drives, sneaker net, that kind of stuff. And now in the new world, we're, you know, more using mobile device management and, and the onus or the burden is on users to make sure that your stuff's backed up. And so thankfully you can use that, use Google Drive. You can use iCloud. Um, our school doesn't support iCloud, but we encourage teachers to use it if you want. Um, and I really think it's worth the money to have, have a little extra storage with Apple, a little bit of extra storage with Google. And then everything that's on my desktop and my documents I know is, is automatically backed up immediately. Um, have you had good experience lately, Jason, with your Google Drive stuff and the Google Drive desktop app? Are you using yeah, that? Yeah, I am. And uh, it's the, the newest version released in May, uh, I think it was May, uh, is, is natively compatible, which is awesome. Um, more importantly, um, it, it it, you know, it works, it works like a charm and I, I, I need Google drive. Like that's the, that, that is a, a baseline app for me. So is it similar to the way drive file stream was where it won't yeah. download everything, but it has an index yeah. and then you can choose to download what you need. Yeah. I have over, uh, I have over a terabyte of data in my work, Google drive. And a lot of that is archives that, um, uh, you know, I'll go and clean up at some point, but I probably have at any given time, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe 10 gigs of stuff that's stored locally. So you can download whole directories if you like, but more importantly, you know, for new files, it just, it throws it up to the cloud. And if you don't use it for a while, it just eliminates it from your local drive, which I think is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Good deal. Well, Wes, where can people find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at W Fryer. You can find all my various and sundry links, uh, including perhaps some forthcoming smoked, um, 
uh, St. Louis ribs that will be coming off of the grill, uh, soon. Uh, westfriar.com slash after. How about you, Dr. Neifer? I mostly on Twitter, text Avi Teach. Uh, you can also find me if you want to connect with me. Um, I'm not quite traveling yet, but, uh, speaker season starting back up again. And I would love, as would Dr. Fryer, to come to your district and work with you or, uh, your colleagues. And, uh, you can find me at neifer.com. Uh, but this isn't about us. This is the EdTech Situation Room. We are a once-a-week podcast. We broadcast on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Central, although Montana is going to be opting out of Daylight Savings Time if other Western states do it. So at some point, it could be, you know, every state could be a different time uh, time zone, uh, for all I know. But uh, you can join us live on Wednesday nights. We broadcast via both Facebook and YouTube. You can uh, check out our uh, Twitter account, uh, EdTechSR, where we post those links and let you know when we're broadcasting. You can join Peggy George in our chat room on YouTube. You can also download Download the podcast anywhere, finder podcasts are aggregated. Um, uh, all the major apps carry EdTechSR, or you could go to our website, edtechsr.com, and download TinyMP3. Uh, we wish you a safe and, and, and happy week. We hope to see you next time in the Situation Room, and we hope you have a, a great end of your school, school year. Good night. Adios, everybody. <laughs>